Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Brad, have you seen those, uh, it's like the TikTok sounds, one of the memes that they keep reusing, and it's the person sobbing, and they were like, it's a good joke, a great one even, but just not today. Pretty much they're they're at their last straw. Yeah, seen that one. When I was on my very limited time, like lunch or, you know, time not working today is a long day at work, putting those, uh, the stuff in our calendar for us three for the podcast. And Evan responded to every single event with a tentative yes. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is objectively funny, but I, I, this might be it for me. That might be the end of Ryan right now. My, well, I, my didn't, favorite. I didn't want to put no, because I wasn't sure if that would delete it from my email. Then you'd have to send it again and I'd feel bad. So me, me it, I took maybe for all of them just to get my joke across and to slightly annoy you, but without having to create more work. Like I said, a great joke even. It's just I'm I'm the limiting factor here. I didn't have the mental fortitude today to do it. <laughs> I didn't catch your two's full interaction in the group chat until a bit after. I forget how it went, but I died laughing when <laughs> when you guys were talking about the draft. And it's like Evan, we will drag you off the golf course to to that one if we have to. Yeah, Friday night's a, a hot time at the golf course. That's when it's nine and dine. You get you play nine holes and you get a fifty dollar credit to spend on dinner. I will Sounds give the clubhouse great. your picture. Like, do not let this man enter every hey. golf course within an hour radius. Let us know what he spends on dinner and tips, and we'll double that. Do not let this man be here tonight. I will pay double whatever his. No, we won't. We can't afford that. But we'll pay you some sum of money. Pretend it's a lockdown again. Who cares? Anyways. Evan will be there, folks. Don't worry. Uh, Maybe. Welcome. Yeah, right. Tentative. Yes. Anyways, uh, this window isn't high enough, so unfortunately, I have to continue with this podcast. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, unfortunately, still, I'm Ryan Hanna. Uh, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Mm, kind of. Maybe. Um, on this episode of the podcast, we did have a con a long conversation with Max Boltman uh, that we will be playing for you shortly. Um, we actually ended up going longer with Max than we we originally anticipated because Max decided he wanted to go a rip around with a, a mock draft, which is always a good time. So uh, we're going to split that up into two parts. The first part is going to be today, which is the expansion draft list. Um that myself and Brad uh, discussed with Max, uh, and we'll get Evan's take on that as well. And then on Sunday's episode, we will get that quick mock draft and throw that in there because there's a lot of good prospect uh, and draft talk in there as well. Uh, there's not a lot of Red Wings news, but there's some free agency stuff that's kind of floating around the NHL that I think I've seen related to the Red Wings a few times, and, and it's probably worth addressing. Uh, and then we will get into uh, this episode's draft profile. Um, and then we'll head into overtime. All right. Uh, oh, right. Before that, I do 
of course, want to talk to everyone uh, about the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which won't be new to you, but still extremely important. Uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative that was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wing's lead announcer, who you'll know as Ten Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and support them, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Uh, we had an episode just a couple episodes ago where we had Ken Daniels on the show. Uh, one of the best episodes we've ever had the privilege of doing on this on this podcast. So if you haven't listened yet, go back and give that a listen. Um, we're very, very proud to be able to uh, partner with the Jamie Daniels Foundation and uh, more uh, initiatives and opportunities to support um, will be coming soon. Okay. Ah, man. How do we say this without doing Brad's three-second answer? Zach Hyman. Probably going to be a free agent. Um, Brad's muted right now and he said it into his mic. So I'll, I'll translate for him. Actually, uh, Brad, no. Yeah. Then there's the whole conversation about Zach Hyman. No. Okay. Very quickly here. And I had a conversation with Adam about this. I think Zach Hyman's a fine player and some team might overpay. Some team might get him on a deal. I tend to lean towards overpay if he's not staying in a very, depending on who you ask, good situation in Toronto where he's surrounded by a lot of talent. His age and where he is in his career, it's the boring answer that Red Wings fans are getting tired of hearing, but the simple one is just no. Not unless Zach Hyman's coming here on some kind of incredible deal or there's some long-term plan to sign and then trade him, which I'm not sure Zach Hyman is really interested in, a player of his caliber, where he's at in his career doesn't really make sense to do it. Would that happen for the Red Wings? Is he an Eisenman-type player? Yeah, absolutely. Wins battles, works hard, gets points on the board, of course. Um, if the Red Wings were a substantially better team and contending for the playoffs, it might make sense to add a Zach Hyman, but just not needed. It's not like it's, it hasn't been a pervasive question, hasn't been coming up everywhere, but I got a few DMs, a couple of questions, people messaged me on the, the podcast Discord, things like that. So, um, yeah, I wanted Brad's long analysis on that, which was... What... Was the last contract a Red Wings GM gave to a player who is largely a grinder with some skill and who had heavy offensive input that was propped up by playing with two superstar line mates? I don't think it's the I don't think he's the same, but you're it, talking about just an abdicator. Yeah. Same age, same Almost same goddamn situation. This is identical. Do I think Zach Hyman right now is better than Abdulkader was then? Yes, but not by that much. Because one of the things Abdulkader's contract has done is it's pushed everybody so far in the opposite direction where they forget he was once upon a time pretty good. Not $30 million good, but he was fine. He was a good complimentary player. He could contribute with Datsuk and Zetterberg. I mean, I could contribute with Datsuk and Zetterberg, but still, someone has to do it. And he did it well. And then his contract was so bad, and because he was so old, we it went exactly how we expected. The same thing is going to happen with Hyman. He's good. He'll probably be good for another year or two. And then you'll be stuck with the final four or five years of way too much money on that contract. Like, I've 
I made a joke two weeks ago to a buddy at work that this has Ken Holland written all over it. And then the Edmonton rumors started. And I'm like, oh, no, I was kidding. But, I mean, it's a good situation for Hyman. He's a good complimentary player to superstars. So, if he's going to play with anybody, McDavid and Dreisaitl would make sense. But I don't care who signs him. If you sign Zach Hyman to a longer than three-year contract, it's a mistake. If you sign Zach Hyman for more than $5 million, it's a mistake. And it's and both those things are going to happen. And, um, you know, good for him. Hyman's earned it. You know, he's a guy who's busted his ass to get where he is. Um, so, you know, no ill will to the guy and not saying he's a bad player now. But his style of play generally doesn't – this style I should, of play, I should say, generally doesn't hold up into a player's 30s. And he's 29. So, yeah, this one has huge mistake written all over it for whoever signs him. I'm I'm struggling to label it as a guaranteed mistake. I could see him at age 29 still putting in three or four, maybe. If those years are on average good, like he has two more at the current level he's at now and two more where he's still very good for that age and can manage that age curve or happens to be on the right side of that age curve. I'm not saying the latter three years or whatever or the money won't be maybe a little bit of an overpayment in terms of term or cash. But for a team like Edmonton, where they're not built for a cup run right now, but they're also not necessarily far away, I could see it making sense. You're just essentially take you're betting. You're, you're, you're taking a risk. You're making a bet, understanding that this is what you have to pay for a UFA on the open market, and almost all of them in his position demand more money than they'll be worth long term. You're just trying to get that one single cup to say, who gives a shit what happens the other six years? This made it worth it, right? I have a lot of respect for for a guy who plays like Zach Hyman does, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, Brad. I just think that I don't – I struggle to label these as like black and white signings. Like, not to relate everything back to the Red Wings, but if you're a team that needs that type of player, you are better off going to Detroit and overpaying for Tyler Bertuzzi, who's probably better and four years younger. Give up that first round pick. It's better than getting stuck with three useless years of Zach Hyman. Like, again, I'm not trying to dump on Zach Hyman the player. Let me be very clear. I understand he's good and I understand he's valuable, but when was the last time a team overpaid for anybody in free agency who was 29 years or older and it worked out? I can't think of one, like unless it was a one, two or three year contract. So, and if I'm Zach Hyman, understanding that I'm probably never going to play with anybody as good as Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews ever again. So I understand that no matter how well I play this year, my numbers won't be what they've been. This is my only good contract. I am not getting another contract after this. So I am milking every last year out of this. If I'm him, every negotiation I go into starts at seven years and you work your way down from there. Um, He won't get seven years because I don't think teams are that dumb, but you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Um, but yeah, I it's just look at the history of free agency. These high profile, and Hyman's not that high profile, but these high profile free agents are almost universally bad signings. So 
Again, I hope for Zach Hyman's sake it works out for him wherever he ends up, unless he goes to like Boston or Toronto, in which case, you know, rivalries. But yeah, I just, th- this just smells too familiar for me to have any optimism for it. Yeah, I think Hyman will probably come in somewhere around 5 million bucks just based on sort of the comparables that I could pull up quickly while we're, you guys were talking. The only thing that pulls it maybe down is Toffoli signed like the most team friendly deal of all time. He's like four something, um, which is ridiculous. So that's more of an outlier than anything else. But I think he'll be around five million bucks. And, you know, there's GMs that do terrible, make terrible decisions. He could come in slightly north of that. Um, I like Zach Hyman, but I don't think he, it's the right timing for Detroit. Like there'll be a lot of Zach Hyman's available when Detroit's actually competing so i don't think the time's right to bring in a zach hyman but yeah like you guys said this has got ken holland written all over it um and that thankfully is not our problem anymore (laughs) (laughs) i sometimes you know a joke's gonna write itself before it happens and i'm not talking specifically about what hyman's contract will be but the narrative that's going to come out of this because there's been the big argument these playoffs about oh skill teams don't succeed in the playoffs you need that grit that grind that this is playoff hockey so you need guys who win in the playoffs and you know that narrative is going to surround hyman as the talks heat up despite the fact he's been eliminated in the first round every year he's been in the playoffs. So he's the type of guy, he's going to get the playoff type label, even though he's his teams that he's been on has been playoff failures. And I will absolutely love every second of that. I only have one point to add here. And it's because like, I hate, I I, I don't want to disagree with you, Brad, for the sake of disagreeing with you. I actually almost fully agree with the spirit of what you're saying. But there's one point you put in there where you think Bertuzzi is a younger, better Hyman. I think Bertuzzi is a younger, similar style play to Hyman. But I think a Hyman is absolutely a better player right now. Even purely just like if you if you don't really believe in his offensive impacts, because obviously he's surrounded by world-class talents, like I'll give that to you. But his defensive impacts are, I think, substantially better than Bertuzzi's. Like he genuinely is really good at that end of the ice. This is the argument about how... And I don't have the answer here, so I will just say food for thought. This is the argument of how much do you think supporting cast affects a player's isolated stats? I tend to fall in the camp of, I think, more than it gets credit for, but the argument can be made either way. Anyhow, uh, that's enough about something that's not happening but i think it's an interesting conversation league-wide hyman's by no means a steven stamkos level uh superstar but that like free agent superstar that's coming up but it'll be an interesting one to follow uh let's jump into this interview with max boltman from the athletic detroit um good to have max back on the show uh again this is part one of a two-parter this one is going to be all about the expansion draft um i give max a little bit of heck just for the sake of doing it because we're good friends so uh know that that's all unjust but no we're gonna we go through our expansion draft list and i think it's an interesting conversation and I think one that hopefully should put Detroit fans at ease, and I think the fan base largely is at ease regarding the expansion draft, but maybe this exercise will put you 
will illustrate why. So without further ado, our interview with Max Boltman, the Athletic Detroit, good friend of the pod. Max, here to stand trial. I think there was enough outrage after you know what. So this is probably the best way to take care of that quick and easy. Yeah, I plead guilty and I'm just going to turn the tables around you and um, you're going to stand trial for inviting Prashant on before me. You chose sides. <laughs> Maybe we did. Maybe we did. In We're fairness, on the same side. It's all good. <laughs> Prashant did offer his services and my thought was I should ask Max too. No, Max has a real job to do today. I that tuned actually- in to your to your I I now I would have had I did have work to do once the lottery actually started, but I was in the I was lurking on the stream. To be fair, we recalled Prashant on emergency basis. I I did hear. How's your finger doing? Uh, it's still mangled, but I it's not wrapped anymore, and the cut's mostly closed. So I'm I'm happy. <laughs> All right, you're getting there. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, Max, this guy's a mess. <laughs> it was either it was either you or Prashant, and it's I think going to be a regular occurrence if it, we keep leaving Brad to his own devices. Well, I'm not I sacrificing was- any fingers or otherwise for anything so just leave me out of that part well i'm not doing it again it didn't fucking work (laughs) (laughs) i there were a lot of good points made that you know a little sampling of blood was enough to not move down but if you really want (laughs) the meat of it you're gonna need to give up the meat of it anyways after that terrible joke max boltman welcome back how you doing man i was muted i'm good guys how are you (laughs) not too bad (laughs) you've uh yeah. What's eh, <laughs> Brad? Yeah. Uh Max Boltman, the Athletic Detroit, he actually does not need an introduction. Um, good to have you back on the show. And what we were referring to uh on the start was expansion draft lists. So uh obviously Max, you did a great job with outlining that in your article at the beginning of the month. Um and there was one uh little hiccup in there that I messaged you about. I'm sure you got a ton of other messages about. And why don't we just open you put it out there to to kind of a stop me from pulling the rug out from beneath you anymore, and b address what everyone is is going to ask about. No, I mean you're you're exactly so. I the way I did it, the, the controversy was all surrounding uh, the defenseman that I projected onto the protected list. I I put both young defensemen, Gustav Lindstrom, Dennis Chalowski on there. I did not put Troy Stetcher on there. This was a departure for me. This is a departure from the way that I had handled it for the entire year. Uh, in which I had had Stetcher onto that list because I think he's the best player of those three. I think there's a pretty good chance that in 10 years we look back on him as the best player of the three. Um, and that had been my North Star in putting together this projection list for the whole time. Um, you were not the only person who objected to that change, and enough people and smart enough people were among that group that I really think I probably... I don't know. I might regret it. I don't know. Like the, my reasoning for making the change was entirely based on one comment Steve Eiserman made, which people I'm sure are by now familiar with about him saying that Giovanni Smith, Gustav Lindstrom, Michael Rasmussen, and Dennis Chalowski would have to be, I think the quote was pretty bad to end up waived before the start of next season. And in my head that went, okay, well, if, if they would really like to avoid putting them on waivers to be claimed by someone else, it stands to reason that they would like to avoid exposing them to be claimed by someone else in the expansion draft. That's someone else being Seattle. That was the long and short of it. Nothing more than that. I mean, obviously, Stetcher got healthy scratch a couple times, um, but that wasn't going to change my mind because Chalowski and Lindstrom were in the AHL a bunch this year. Like that's That to me is not the, the differentiator. That said, uh, I have been 
in all these conversations that started in the, in the uh, aftermath of this list, I have been uh, dragged back down to earth a little bit on this. And so that is what I'm here to answer for. And then I do think that I probably am overreacting. Number one, I did break a cardinal rule uh, to by trying to read anything into something Steve Eiserman said. Uh, yes, that is my job. Yes, it is a fool's errand. I realize what that makes me. Um, and <laughs> beyond that... Uh, yeah, I know, I know. And uh, what what I think I probably was not giving enough credence to is the fact that on waivers, you don't have to lose it. You, you don't have to lose anyone. You can manage in a way that you don't have to lose anyone. In the expansion draft, you have to lose someone. And that probably is a big enough distinction. I think I acknowledge in the story, probably didn't give it enough credence to that idea. I think if I was writing that protected list again today, and I realize it's like 10 days later... I think I would probably put Stetcher on there um, above both of them, but I don't know, man. I'm okay. I've talked for. What do you guys think about this? How would you approach this? Fairness to you, Max, and like I've ribbed you enough. I should come into your defense. First of all, it speaks to how good the quality uh, of writing that you put forward and how good of a reporter you are. That this is like the single small mistake that we can use to jab at you with. Cause I think this is probably your like umpteenth interview on the show and I've never had something to needle you with. So this is for anyone wondering. Uh, Bowen Byron might have something to say about that. Oh yeah. You know what? That's, that's very fair. Uh, <laughs> although you could probably come back at us with quite a few, you know, Kirby Doc with Brad comes to mind. Anyhow, that, that's a whole other ball game. Jury still talk- out there. <laughs> well, the we talked about this, Max. There was a point in the season where if you put that draft expansion draft list around the time where Stetcher was injured and then came back and didn't look so hot for a few games, you wouldn't have been called crazy at all. There is a certain amount of recency bias, obviously because he had a you know great performance for Team Canada. Um, I don't think that's unfounded. I, I I do genuinely believe Stetcher to be one of the best defensemen that the Red Wings have, and he has a lot of value, and, and I would choose to protect him. But I don't think it was an insane thing to do. We get so little from Steve Eiserman that I don't think we should never read into anything. I think there are some substantial bits there, and your logic is sound. If it happened, I wouldn't think it would be out of this world. I wouldn't predict it to happen, but yeah, just to to come to bat for my friend Max Baltman a little bit. Well, that's part of it too, right? It's like he he is on a one year deal. Like there there is an argument here that like you know he's on a one year deal. Like why why are you going to protect a one year deal? But at the same time, and this is something that I heard in the aftermath. That I think the first time I heard it, I was like, no, that's not that's not relevant. But the more I thought about it, like a one year deal, like that does mean that at the end of the day, you could probably traded at the deadline for something worthwhile, especially if you're retaining some cap hit. Probably didn't give that enough thought before I wrote the list. But yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's not the end of the world because I don't think Troy Stetcher is like a top four D on most teams in the league, but I think he's a really good five D. Like, I think he's a really good third pair guy that, you know, like he's going to be good in defensive situations. He's not really a special teams guy um, either way, but I think he can do a little on the PK. I think if you needed him in a pinch on the power play, he works there. I think he's a really good player. I just, I, to me, like it, and where I went wrong ultimately is like, um, my, my line of thinking, I think that I've had most of this year, which is like, at the end of the day, do I see Lindstrom or Chalowski being as good as Troy Stetcher is right now? I'm not sure that I do. And so that's why you just keep Stetcher. I, I let that get overruled by the one year deal and by the Eisenman comment. I, the more I think about it, the more I regret it. But that is what I was thinking. And I still don't think it's like a terrible thought process. I don't know. Well, going into this expansion draft with 
you know, you look at the Mantha trade and, and Eisenman's been clear about getting younger and going forward. It makes sense that the tie goes to the younger player. Um, but yeah. Sorry, Hank just walked in. But that's a bit but, of a tie. And, and I, yeah, I realize yeah. it maybe isn't a tie. But what it comes down to cold, hard asset management is what could you move Troy Stetcher for at the deadline? If he starts this season like he started last, it's probably a second round pick. Could you trade Dennis Chalosky or Gustav Lindstrom right now straight up for a second round pick? I would argue no, you couldn't. So from just straight up asset management, Stetcher is the more valuable asset, not even necessarily because of what he is now, even though he is a better player, but because of what he could get you. Well, and there's also like the, you know, I think who knows what Chalowski and Lindstrom are going to be. They, we still haven't seen them quite enough, I think, to be definitive on any of that. But there is like this part of me that's like, uh, like, do you want to risk losing Shea Theodore in this thing? Because Anaheim obviously thought little enough of Shea Theodore to, to make that mistake in that expansion draft. And it's not like I think either of those guys are Shea Theodore, but it's just like there, are, there is this thing of like, Stetcher's old enough where you know exactly what he is, and that's a good thing going for him, and it's also a thing that may get, may get used against him in an expansion draft process because when you're giving up runway, you're giving up upside, inevitably. Regardless of what you think the upside is, you're giving up like the chance that they develop into something more, and I think at this age, like Troy Stetcher has established what he is, and that's, again, I think a, a, a really good player, the best of these three players, and probably the, the best of any of what these three guys are going to be. But, like, is there a mystery box component to this? I mean, that's playing into your mind for this, too. You know, I don't know. Why don't we jump into it, then? Uh, expansion draft list. I know you've done one, Max, but let's do this one. You did yours predictive. What did you think Steve Eisman would do? And and uh, kudos to you for taking that on because incredibly difficult to have as your actual job <laughs> getting to Steve Eisman's head. Uh, if you were Steve Eisman, what would you do? That's how we're going to angle this this expansion draft list. So, why don't we walk through whether we pick the 7-3-1 iteration or the uh, eight skaters and one goalie iteration here. Are um, we doing this together or are we each our own? Let's go each our own. So you, you're the guest. Where do you want to go? Do you want to go first, second, third on this? Uh, I'll back clean up so I can steal all your guys' good ideas. All right. Um, at the risk of talking too much consecutively, I'll hand off to you, Brad, if you're ready for your expansion draft list. And for the listeners, uh, seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goalie, or eight skaters and one goalie. Those are the two options the teams have um, amidst a, a myriad of, of different requirements and rules, which if you ever want to know what those are, just uh, go to theathletic.com, subscribe, and read Max Bolton's articles. All right, since I'm being thrown under the bus to start, uh, get Get the obvious out of the way. I would run a seven-three-one, um, despite the talk of you know Stetcher, Chalosky, Lindstrom. The reality is none of them are good enough to really warrant losing one of the top five forwards on this team because there are pretty definitively five spots wrapped up. And off the top of my head, it's Larkin, Bertuzzi, Vrana, Fabry, and Rasmussen. Like, there's no argument that you're not going to protect any one of those five. So that alone means you're going to go 7-3-1. So on forward, it comes down to, for me, essentially a, a four-player debate. You have Adam Ernie, Giovanni Smith, Evgeny Svechnikov, and then there's a few other players you can make a case for. Like, I know Vladimir Mesnikov gets brought up a lot as well. So those are probably the four. Um, and then there's obviously the requirements for who you have to expose games played, but I'm not going to get into the weeds on that. So 
for me, those final two forward spots, and I know I, I'm aware I'm in the minority on this, so I don't need people screaming at me, would be Adam Ernie, which is the obvious answer, and then I would protect Svechnikov, even though I really don't think the Red Wings are going to do it. Um, I understand the argument for Nemesnikov, but again, it's a guy on a one-year contract. You can get assets for him at the deadline, and ultimately, he's not a super impactful player. He's a lesser version of Troy Stetcher, in my mind, on the overall impact of the game. So, if you even consider exposing Stetcher, you don't protect Nemesnikov. Adam Ernie is young enough at 26 that you can see him coming out the other side of this rebuild still with the team. And you could also see the side where he will get you some pretty good assets at a trade deadline eventually. So, you know, good depth, protect him. I just don't see the upside from Giovanni Smith that I do Evgeny Svechnikov. Like Svechnikov, his underlying metrics weren't great this season, but he was producing and the production he had was not fluky. He was making skilled plays to get the points he had, which is something most forwards on this team cannot do. So just having that different element there is valuable to me. In net, it's obviously Grice. If you're going to sign Bernier, wait till after the expansion draft to sign him. And I think everybody's going to do that with every free agent this year. Uh, and then on defense, I go, you know, obviously Heronic, And then I go Stetcher and Chalosky. I understand, again, Lindstrom's underlying metrics were better than Chalosky. There's just that upside argument for me here. I don't think there's anything dynamic about Gustav Lindstrom. I think his type of player are a dime a dozen. I'm not super confident that Chalosky's going to turn into anything, but with his skill set, he could. He can run a power play. He is a good transition player. He's arguably already the best pure passer among the Red Wings defense, again, low bar, but still. Just like Max alluded to, you don't want to give up a Shea Theodore, and not that Chalosky will be a Shea Theodore. He won't. He is that type of player where he can bring that element if everything goes right for him. Well, how supremely annoying, because I am not kidding when I say that list and a lot of the justifications around the pain points, so to speak, were identical um but for the sake of the process i'll go through it you um, made me go first that's <laughs> i did that's the risk i ran yeah uh larkin bertuzzi verona fabry rasmussen that's a gimme quite obviously there's there's no debate about that like brad mentioned adam ernie was one where i put it on there and i know that it might not age well so to speak you know there's a chance the the surge that we saw from adam ernie last season might be a flash in the pan and that his lasting impacts on the game remain defensive exclusively. I don't think that'll be the case. I think he'll retain some amount of that offensive impact. And to me, uh, his perceived value, if he ever gets traded, is is quite high right now as well, relative to any at any other point in his career. So that alone uh, makes him worthy of, of having that sixth spot on the forwards. I struggled with Sveshnikov and Smith. I know this is a what would you do if you were Eisenman thing. And I do like Svechnikov a lot. I, I fall largely in the same camp as you, Brad. Uh, his underlying numbers weren't phenomenal, but I think the guy has the potential to still have a good amount of, of offensive impact, you know, in the middle six of, of this lineup. But I, I have a real soft spot for Giovanni Smith. I have a real soft spot for a guy who can come in, grind, get some results on the fourth line. And, you know, at the risk of sounding like, as Evan might say, you know, <laughs> Uh, the, the boomer window or first name bunch of numbers Twitter. 
he comes in and beats the piss out of a Florida Panthers player. I can't remember who it was because they were, you know, it was starting to get chippy way too early in that season series. I see value in that, especially on this team where you don't want them to get pushed around every night where Dylan Larkin's taking, you know, cross checks to the the spine from from Ben. I see value in guys like Giovanni Smith coming in and, and, and putting a little bit of a stop to that. The only reason I'm going to choose Svechnikov here is because I think Seattle will be less want to take Smith than they would if Svechnikov was available. It's a calculated risk that way. Um, Ronick, Stetcher, Cholosky. To me, that's that's the simple move. Brad, you explained it clearly. Same thoughts on Cholosky. I don't really have a ton of hope for his ceiling, but I think the potential is there. The perceived value is there. Um, we have already dissected Stetcher and Hironik's the obvious one. And yeah, it's going to be Grice and that unless something weird happens and they sign Bernier first, which I don't think that they'll do because it's a pretty good tactical move to wait until after the lottery. Um, but that's just uh, a standard list. So to all the listeners, I'm sorry for disappointing you by firmly following in Brad's footsteps here. Max, save us. So the line is what else is there to say? Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs> You're gonna uh, fit in terrific. <laughs> no, I uh, I actually do have a difference. So um, I have Ernie as a lock. I mean, to me, I realize that it, it you know, like like Ryan said, like this is not like uh, something that like five years from now you're gonna go back and say like, oh yeah, like for sure. Like I don't I don't know what Adam Ernie's future holds. I do think there was some shooting percentage inflating going on this year with him. But that said, like come on, he's a he's a tier above everyone else in that group, is he not? Like you know, he's he's a 26 year old. Uh, energy player, one of their most physical players, was one of their top four scorers this year. Like RFA, this is no doubter for me. Um, so, so to me, I, I think Ernie's a tier above the rest there, and, and that that's he's in that lock tier. So to me, it's a group of six forwards that I'm saying. The, I, I see no argument for any of these other guys over him. Um, and then I I have Smith as the other one, and and I don't know, you know, like I to me, it's between the Mesnikov and Smith, and, and not Svechnikov and Smith. And I realize that you know that. It, to me, that it breaks down along the same lines that um, I, I did inferring my protected list. But I actually think um, I think I was leaning toward Nemesnikov. Um, but what you saw from Giovanni Smith at times this year, like, do you remember the pass that he made to Larkin in that one game? And, and you just see these little flashes. And, and so, yes, it's the Gordie Howe hat trick, and that's great. And I, and I think there's he does have this physical element to him that they don't have probably enough of on their team. But it, it's not just that. And it's like he, he shows you these flashes with the hands and, and, and he plays at the front of the net and, and not just in like, a, you know, he's big enough to get there, but in like a, he's going to go to the net looking for offense. Like to me, it's, it's this element that, you know, I don't think it's going to be top six or anything, maybe even top nine, but it's just, it's, you don't want to not have this guy on your team. He can do a little bit of everything. Um, and that, that's who I'd protect too. Um, I've come around on that over the over the course of the season. I think I started there, and then he wasn't in Detroit, and I was like, okay, I don't know. Like he didn't light up Grand Rapids. I don't think quite to the same degree this year. Um, but I think there's enough tools there. He's young enough. Um, he has these different dynamics to him that, to me, I think he's the, he's the guy. I get it with Svechnikov. Like he he probably has a little more pure skill um, and, and maybe better pure shot. Um, but, you know, to me, he's he's a little older. You've seen a little bit. And I do wonder about the B game a little bit. Like, it, it, if, if he's not having, like, his, his game where he, the hands are really popping and, and, and he's in position to shoot, how many more ways is he helping you? Um, I realize that he might help you more in that offensive way 
than Smith does. But if, if let's say neither of them are the, you're playing a team that's not going to let them kind of get what they want offensively. I do. I just think Smith does a little more to help you um, in the B game kind of sense. And I don't know if that's flawed logic or not, but to me, um, the younger player, a little more, you know, varied skill set. Um, I lean towards Smith there. And then I have the same, same D as, as you guys and goalie as you guys for, for the same reasons. I think to me, it's, I, you know, I do think Lindstrom kind of fits their type a little more, but I also think that's a pretty good reason to keep Chalowski because Chalowski's the guy they don't have. Like what this team is missing a power play quarterback. Like he's, he's in your lap. Just use him. That's to me, that's the, that's the logic. I will say if, if Nemesnikov was a couple years younger, I yeah. would, if he was like, Stetcher's age. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's, he's not old by any means. It's not like he's useless for the Red Wings right now, but the, what pushed Sveshnikov over Nemesnikov in my mind was 20 verse, 24 verse 28. And it was just as simple as that. It, though I, I can't really sit here and argue with your logic though, right? Like the impacts on the ice and what you outlined in the article, you know, Nemesnikov is pretty versatile. You talk about a B game, it's there for him. And you that's also true. might, you might want to consider as well. Look what we saw with Adam Ernie. First year, kind of disappointing. Second year, found his form. It's not going to be true for every you know player Eisman brings in, but if Nemesnikov finds that in his next season with Detroit, that's a much more significant impact than we saw. Well, and and Nemesnikov, like I mean, I, I expose him, but like one thing that that he offers this team next year that is really important is like it's that little ability to flex inside and play center when you need him to. Like I think I assume the three of us are all expecting both Valeno and Rasmussen on this team next year, but like. It's not going to be a bad thing for either of those guys to have a guy who's used to the defensive responsibilities, a center on their wing who can step in if they get tossed out of the circle or if they, if they're going to, you know, blend things up a little bit at one point in the game. It's not a bad thing to have this guy around who has proven he can capably play center. I don't think he's a great faceoff guy. I don't know if I'm remembering that right. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a guy who's least shown he can handle the responsibilities of the center position. That's not a bad guy to have around, but you're right. It's, it's, it's one year on the deal. It's, he's going to be 29 early in the season. And if you're going to re-sign him beyond that, all of a sudden now you're signing a 30 year old for another two, three years. And those are the contracts that I think you can kind of regret. Last question, I guess, on the expansion topic. So it seems like the real point here of contention Contention is a strong word. This is a the Red Wings have it very easy. This expansion draft, like you can tell, none of us are really pressed. Giovanni Smith, Evgeny Sveshnikov, uh, and Nemesnikov. Which one of those three? Let's say all of them were exposed for one reason or another. Which one of those three do you guys predict that Seattle is, would be most likely to take? I would think that they take a defenseman. <laughs> That's my too. honest, I agree. honest. Whichever the I don't is exposed. Yeah, I, I don't think this is much of a conversation. We do it just for the sake of it. For a lot of the reasons Max laid out actually uh, very well about you keep Chalosky because you don't have a guy like that. That's my argument for Svechnikov. Is like, if you would like to see a souped up version of Giovanni Smith, cool, Adam Ernie's right there. So, But we don't have that comparable Svechnikov player, right? And I, I know I'm arguing for him based on how many times he's on waivers this year. I absolutely understand there is a less than five percent chance he is actually on the protection list but he's a different element he brings that skill he brings that shot he can play on the power play i mean giovanni smith i agree with max he's far more skilled than he gets credit for albeit at a rel- relative to a fourth liner he can play on the power play but he can play net front on the power play which is where ernie rasmussen bertuzzi they can all play so it's not really filling a need there 
how many guys do the Red Wings have that can shoot off the half wall on the power play right now? <laughs> I'm not sure they have two, honestly, um, the way this past season went. But yeah, I, I think if Seattle is hard pressed and they're like, no, we've picked too many defense from, from other teams. We have to take a forward here. I think their most likely guy they would take is Nemesnikov. And that should be what the Red Wings honestly would hope for is they keep the younger guys. I agree with that. I don't have a ton to add. Yeah. So basically you're saying if Lindstrom is on the board, most likely Lindstrom. If not, then Nemesnikov. Yeah, yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah. And I could also see like, you know, Seattle taking Chalowski in a heartbeat if he's there. Like, you know, he's also, he's a Vancouver kid. Like that's, that's close to home from him. You're giving him a fresh start. We know Ron Francis built that Carolina team with a lot of emphasis on the, on the back end on defense. It's not a bad flyer to take on a former first round pick who's a local kid. You're going to give him a fresh start. He's learned the lessons the hard way with a different coach. You're going to bring him in and kind of, um, you know, pump him up and, and, and get him motivated. I still think there's tons of skill with Dennis Chalowski. He's a great skater, smart player, good hands, good shot, great shot, honestly. Like, how many of the Rebels defensemen do you trust to shoot a puck better than Chalowski? It's kind of just heronic. Uh, Mark uh, Stahl if we're counting accuracy, ago. it's, yeah, Mark Stahl. If we're counting accuracy, no, Chalowski's shot is light years ahead of Hironik. Hironik's got the better uh, slap shot. Chalowski's got the better wrist shot and snap shot. Yeah. Her- but I know Hironik's he put got it more shit pads last year. I know. Yeah, Hironik's got more power to his shot is where I will give him the edge. And that was part one of our most recent interview with Max Boltman. We hope you guys enjoyed that conversation about the expansion draft. But fret not, we're not done yet. Evan, you can't get away that easily. You need to give us your picks on the uh, on who the Red Wings are going to protect, whether they go seven three one or eight skaters and a goalie. Um, what does Evan Lobsinger divine in terms of what Steve Eisenman is going to do? Yeah, so um, I actually had trouble picking enough players to protect. Believe it or not, I <laughs> <laughs> oh, see so you get the spirit of the thing. Yeah, I don't know if you guys had the same issue, but uh, yeah. I, I struggled a little bit doing this. Um, let's start with defensemen. How about that? Um, this was basically a charity case, but um, I think the only one I didn't struggle with was Heronic. Um, actually, no, this was actually easier than I than I I, I give credit. I I did Heronic, Stetcher, and Chalowski. First two seemed good, man. Immediately obvious to me. Yeah. Um, after that, I kind of just closed my eyes and did the old the U. Um, for that's terrible radio. I know. No, no, no. I got. Understand what you're saying because my options were Joe Hicketts, Dylan McLarath, Gustav Lindstrom, Alex Biega, Christian Juice was still on the list. Was going uh, Europe, yeah, yeah. Danny DeKaiser and Mark Stahl. So I gave it to Chalowski simply because I think he's the youngest on that list. Nope, Gustav Lindstrom's a year younger. Lindstrom's the only one who gets serious consideration of it. Yeah, Chalowski there basically, but I see more, still see way more upside with Chalowski than I do Lindstrom. So that was my defenseman. My forwards honestly felt pretty cut and dry as well. There was only. Maybe two guys I left off that I that I thought about. So I'll get the easy ones out of the way. Uh, Larkin, Bertuzzi, Verana, Fabry. There's the first four. Super easy. Next one I thought was f- fairly easy was Adam Ernie. 
He had a great year. I think he does. He should be protected at this point. Also, given what else, what are my, the other options are. <laughs> um, the next two I went with were Michael Rasmussen. I still think there's more in the tank with him. Um, and I thought he had a good year, so I, I, I think he'll continue to grow. Um, and then with my last one, I took Evgeny Svechnikov. I still yeah. think he could be a, a certified third line uh, player in the NHL. Um, he just needs more time to, to develop because he's been hurt for so long. Um, the guys I kind of gave, I'll say honorable mention were Hiroshi and Giovanni Smith. Those are the two that I sort of was flirting with, um, switching with Evgeny Svechnikov and I'd be completely okay if either of those two were protected as well. Probably Giovanni Smith more so than, um, Taro Hiroshi, but I could understand an argument for both of, but for one or both of those guys being protected as well. Maybe not both, but maybe one. <laughs> Ryan, do you want to break the bad news to him or should I? Um, I'm assuming your goal you protected is Thomas Grice, Evan. That is incorrect. You're protecting Caden Fulcher? Yes. No, uh, it, I picked Jonathan Bernier. Well, Jonathan free. Bernier would have to be signed yeah. first. Because looking at uh, the UFA goalies this year, like there's a lot. Like there's Tuka Rask. I mean, he's getting a crazy hip surgery, so I don't know about that. But like, there's guys like Frederick Anderson, um, Anti Ranta, um, Philip Grubauer is a UFA. Like Peter Morazic as well. Like there's tons of sexier names than, than Jonathan Bernie that could potentially be available. So uh, yeah, I think keeping him exposed is very low risk. So with knowing that, I, I would change my answer to Thomas Grice. So the bad news here that Brad was ready to deliver to you is that we have three identical lists with oh, literally really? this. Yeah. With literally the same caveat around Svechnikov, if not Svechnikov, then Smith. So the only remaining question is you haven't picked your list. What do you think Eisenman will do knowing what happened with Svechnikov being waived and everything this year? Do you think it'll be Svechnikov protected or do you think it'll be Smith or someone else? Man, if you're going to wave a guy, it certainly sends mixed signals if you then protect him in an expansion draft. So, I mean, my list was my list. It it's not wasn't the the usual what would you what would this GM do versus what I would do. Um I'd imagine he will go unprotected like if nobody if what's the odds one extra team is going to want him after 31 teams already passed or 30 teams already passed on him. Who do you protect instead? Is Do you really protect Giovanni Smith? Do you really see that as a guy that Seattle would take? My rationale was it's probably less risk to, to protect Giovanni Smith than it is Sveshnikov. I could see Seattle taking Sveshnikov. I have a harder time seeing them using their pick on Smith, though I don't think it's impossible. I think during when we were talking with Max, I, I think the consensus between the three of us was the last forward spot doesn't matter because we're all pretty certain they're going to take a defenseman. Whichever one of Chelosky or Lindstrom gets left exposed is probably the one that's gone. They're super young, right? Like it makes way more sense to take that. Like we got Glenn Dennings, 32. Like there's not a lot of young forwards like Hiroshi's 24. 
Where's Smith? 23. So, like, they're kind of young. But, yeah, I think the defenseman is where Detroit will lose someone. But, yeah, like, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, if they lose Svechnikov, I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over it. If we lose Smith, same story. Um, Yeah. It's nice being at the bottom. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Anyhow, and that's that's the byline for all of this is this – or this expansion draft is not at all stressful. If you remember the Vegas expansion draft, that's when we still had Mrazek in net and, and we thought he might be the future for the Red Wings. He was left exposed, which caused some drama, and then he wasn't even taken, which caused a lot of confusion. So uh, this is orders of magnitude, I think, less stressful for, than that one. So Red Wings fans, basically just buckle up, enjoy the show. We'll be live streaming for the expansion draft. Um, most I'll likely try and be the- there. Yeah, piss off, buddy. <laughs> okay. Um, and essentially just hope for some kind of magic wheeling and dealing from Eisman. Otherwise, watch other teams mortgage away their futures, desperately trying to save something that didn't need to be saved, just like Vegas. All right. Let's get a, a, a prospect profile in before we jump into overtime here. And this is a prospect profile that we think is going to be a super interesting one. This is a possible target for the Red Wings' other first-round pick. Uh, 23rd overall, which is the 22nd pick in this draft. Uh, today's episode, we will be focusing on Fedor Svechkov. Believe it or not, Brad, you will be going first. Take it away. Shocking. Fedor Svechkov. Um, the jack-of-all-trade center that the Red Wings should feel lucky to get if they do end up taking him 23rd overall. He... Obviously comes with the quote-unquote Russian factor. Um, But I don't know if we were joking about it with Max during the interview or when we were just talking off the record after. But we were laughing about how little Eisenman cares about the Russian factor based on his previous drafting history. So absolutely could be a target. Um, He is a terrific all-around two-way center with good offensive upside. He checks a lot of the boxes for what the Red Wings need and what are what they're rumored to be looking for in a pra- in a prospect. He has a lot of skill, good hands, great hockey sense, and works his ass off. Very high compete level. Not a great skater, um, not a bad skater, pretty average for his level, but it is worth noting he spent most of the year playing pro in Russia, not junior. So uh, take that for whatever it's worth and did finish his season with a very strong performance at the U18s. So he clearly looked a step above most of his peers, at least. Um, he, he And also he checks the positional need box because he is a center. Now, some people will say he doesn't project as a center at the NHL level. I think that's crazy. This guy is outside of the skating the definition of what you want in a center good defensively good offensively great playmaker good hands can finish the play if he has to be the trigger man there's not a lot to dislike in his game other than like like i said he doesn't have that separating speed so he's gonna have to beat teams with his skill and his brain i believe it was um i believe it was tony ferrari who we've had him the show a lot of times, good friend of the podcast. We'll have him back again. He might have said it on one of our episodes. He mentioned he almost doesn't think about skating as a singular tool anymore. He's not so fixated on it because obviously having a good skater is a great thing. 
But we have a tendency maybe, and I'm very guilty of this because I really value good skating. Uh, we have a tendency to just pigeonhole players just because they're not great skaters. And I don't think Svechnikov's a great skater. I don't think he's a good skater. Maybe not even an average skater. But Brad, before the show, you mentioned a couple of guys who really, I mean, they're not good skaters at all. You mentioned Couturier. And this isn't a one-for-one comparison between Svechkov and Couturier. But you mentioned him and you're like, he's a terrible skater. But one of the best two-way centers in the NHL. Best well, constant Selkie nominee. When I see Svechkov and I see a guy who could possibly be available at, you know, pick 23, you're talking about a two-way center, a guy who's displayed that he's can, he can play center, has a good shot, not a guarantee. I don't think any of the centers in this draft are guaranteed to be centers, but a good shot at playing center, not only just defensively responsible, very capable defensively, and it's not like he's completely – deprived of any offensive talent he's actually a noted like he, he has good playmaking skills like he has those puck skills and he has that vision he displays it is it like an incredible amount where it's game breaking no but then he'd be ranked higher right if you have an opportunity to draft a guy like that in like late in the first round like brad really you're the you're the one honestly who who turned me on to this guy in terms of if he's there he's the obvious pick and i think you're right like he's he's up there for me for the Red Wings to be able to be carefree with their sixth overall pick, knowing there's no way they can know for sure, but knowing that a guy like Svechkov might be available, or if that's the way it shakes out, I think that's an excellent draft for Detroit. Um, a responsible two-way center like Svechkov playing and down the lineup with Valeno, with Larkin still as the one C, is it ideal? Do you have that kind of like Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby type number one C? No, of course not. But that's a very respectable center core. Well, one of the big debates, and we talked about it with Max, um, and without getting too much into the weeds on it, if you get a guy like Svechkov and he projects roughly around what we think he'll be, which is a pretty good two to three C, which is right around what we project Joe Valeno to be. And if we do pick him, it'll be damn near around the same spot we pick Valeno. Um, Can you win with Larkin, Svechkov, and Valeno as your top three centermen? Traditionally, the answer would be no. But the six wingers, and this was on the hypothetical that the Red Wings drafted, a winger at six overall, so Ken Johnson, William Eklund, whatever. We'll go with Eklund for argument's sake. If those are your three centers, but the six wingers around them are Bertuzzi, Zadina, Verana, Raymond, Eklund, Bergren, yeah, you can make that work because you have three legitimately dangerous lines. You have a top-level winger on each side of this centerman. So as long as the centerman can distribute the puck, play responsible in their own end, and not screw up the chances they get in the offensive zone, you can absolutely win with that formula. And I mean, we've talked about it at length. The strength of the Red Wings farm system right now is defense. So when you can string together a top nine like that, and obviously that's banking on Raymond, Bergeron, Eklund, Svechkov, et cetera, panning out, but more of them will pan out than not. Their first round picks, they get picked in the first round for a reason. I doubt they go, they bat a thousand, but, you know, just playing the odds. So you can win with this formula. I Do I think the Red Wings take two wingers in the first round? No, probably not. Unless the skill is just on who's available at both picks is just too good to say no on. Like 
if Shibrikov falls to 23, yeah, that'd be very hard to pass on despite being a winger. But yeah, you, you can absolutely build a team around that. So I'd, I'd have no qualms going winger and then center instead of the inverse. Is it my turn? <laughs> yeah, buddy, it's your turn. <laughs> well, what else is there to say? Oh, Brad. I don't know. You guys <laughs> took it all. My lawyers will uh, be speaking to you. Don't worry. Um, I, I think I've maybe drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. Um, like you guys said, he's not a great skater, but he seems to be a decent east-west type of skater. Doesn't have great high-end speed, which could be an issue at the NHL level. So he'll have to think his way through the game if he's not going to be able to improve in that uh, in that aspect of his game. Um, his shot is very unremarkable. Uh, his one-timer also not very great. Um, something you can easily work on. Um, but th- his offensive production is kind of what's going to sort of make or break him, I think. Um, but I think he looks more like a playmaker than a goal scorer anyway, so I'm not too, too concerned there. Um, but he looks like a very strong defensive centerman and he looks like he's got a really good transitional game too. So it's very rare. You see things like that in 17, 18, 19 year olds. Um, and that's probably why he's in the low teens in some rankings. Um, yeah, I think he will be a, a, a very safe pick, especially outside of the top 10. Um, what's his offensive upside? That would really change where he's going to finish um, at the, in the grand scheme of things. He could very easily be a bolt-on top six forward if he has any offensive upside and it, it really comes around. I like him. I like him a lot. Um he busts his ass. He's not super big, but he plays a strong game. Um, he could be a jack of all trades type of player that you can have on your team from the day that st- like for 15 years kind of thing. If all things, go- all things could go well. And that's great value for a pick at, at any spot. So I like him. Like if he's hanging around there at the, was it the 22nd player pick, but the 23rd pick. Yeah. I really like it. I'm you're gonna have there's gonna have to be someone really falling down the board for me to not be jumping up and down for the Red Wings to take this kid. He's got a great game for someone his age. My thing that gives me some glimmer of hope where you're trying to find that inefficiency, so to speak, with Svechkov is the fact that he played on a pretty terrible team in Russia. That that has a way of masking offensive talent. You can still show a lot of strong defensive impacts on a team that's constantly having to play defense. But if you have a lot of good skills and a lot of good playmaking ability, but it's not really shining through, for sure some of that's development. Also, some of that might be the fact that your team's just not good enough to display it. So that's another check in his his favor. Yeah, I think I read he was purchased from his team by St. Uh, is it St. Petersburg or just Petersburg? St. Yes, for, and it was for an undisclosed amount of rubles, which was the most Russian thing I've read today. Um, <laughs> so he's <laughs> not this week though, just today. Um, so he's going to be making the move up, and it'll be interesting to see how he does at that level. Um, 
I don't know. What else is there to say? He, he's got a great game. So this is where it becomes interesting. So as I've mentioned on here before, I keep track of uh, kind of an amalgamated rankings. I take seven of the most prominent draft rankings and then just average them out to see where each prospect lands. So on the amalgamated rankings, Svechkov ranks averages out as the 16th best prospect. But on Bob McKenzie's rankings, which is the one that's in tune with the actual league, he's ranked 30th, which leads me to believe that the Russian factor is very real because the lists that people put together for their rankings, they don't care about the Russian factor because they have no vested interest if this player comes over. It's just, is this guy the 15th or 16th best prospect, period? And when you actually average out all the numbers... And and you round to an even number. His ranking on average is 22. He's the 22nd uh, (laughs) average, which is sounds familiar. So, uh, yeah, he could go anywhere from just outside of the top 10 to fall out of the first round completely because of the skating and the Russian factor. So God knows what's going to happen with him on draft day, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. Until uh, the GMs in the NHL have not been alive for the Cold War, Kyle Dubas is at an advantage. But until then, um, I think that stigma or whatever you preconceived notion will continue to exist. I think, and I should note that the Russian factor really shouldn't even matter all that much once you get outside of the top ten because. Svechkov's not playing in the NHL for at best two more years. So even if you're worried about him staying in Russia for another two or three years, who cares? You he wasn't going to be on your NHL team in that time frame anyway. All right, that is our prospect profile on Fedor Svechkov. Um, really, really intriguing pick. Probably a name you're going to hear again in the context of the Red Wings. For now, we're going to jump into overtime uh, for the last segment of this episode. Uh, midweek episode, so overtime is exclusive to patrons. Patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you to everyone who supports the show and makes it possible. Jeff Lehman says something I've been wondering since Kat Silverman was on the show talking about goalies. She said Detroit wasn't necessarily good at developing goalies what are the Red Wings good at developing? Defensemen, maybe? Right now, the Chalosky argument hurts a little bit, though. Um, I don't know. There's not a good answer. They have just as many hits and misses at every position, so they're, they're kind of scattershot right now. Cody Stark said Max did a way too early expansion draft protection list in October of 2018. Who do you think was on his list? Uh, I'll post the answer further down in the comments. Hint, one of the defensemen is really funny. Okay, so I haven't looked at the list. 2018. God, I don't even remember who was on the Red Wings in 2018. I'm going to guess Nyquist, Athanasiu, Zetterberg. Uh (laughs) Athanasiu would have been on. No, Zetterberg would have been already out. Right? I don't. Maybe. Or they would have known he would have been Um, out. I'm not sure. Yeah, Larkin, obviously. Mantha would have been Uh, on there. Mantha would have been on there. Bertuzzi might have been at that point. Yeah. I'll go with that. On defense, Jesus Christ, I don't even want to know. 
they would be drafted, the funny one. What? They would have drafted Zadina, but would they have? Would Max have thought Zadina would have been eligible by now? Is a question. He, uh, yeah, I guess he might not have known. Back then, the def- defenseman would have the been def- Hronik and Chalosky. I don't know who the hell but else. Hronik was nobody then. He was a nobody. But we would have known oh. he was coming up, right? Yeah, but we wouldn't have known when his pro seasons would have kicked in. So it would have been a question of whether he would have even been eligible or not at that point. Ah, right. doesn't matter. I, I don't think it would have been him. I got a gut feeling it's like De Kaiser Green and ah, <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know. I don't even I'm, want to know who that last one is. Xavier Willett. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna pull up the answer here. Let's scroll down. Uh, Larkin, Mantha, Athanasiu, Bertuzzi, Rasmussen, Zadina, Svechnikov, Chalosky, Hronik, Sariyarvi, and Bernier. Oh, damn, man. that we, was a better list than I thought. That's actually one very impressive from Max, too. Wow, we used to have a lot of faith in Sariyarvi. Um, I was so big on Sariyarvi, and I'm so mad it didn't translate in North America. Deathman6452 says, hey there, dub dub boys. Thanks for the great content and interviews for the offseason, making this season bearable. Who do you think will have a quiet offseason and who will be the busiest? I think LA will be the most quiet and L- and Tampa will be the busiest with their cap situation. I don't think – I think LA will be busy. I think that's a team with a ton of cap space who can weaponize it to accelerate their rebuild. They might get Jack Eichel. Who's going who's gonna to get the – who's going to be the busiest team in the league? Yeah. Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. They're going to trade away Jack Eichel and maybe Darlene. They have the first overall pick. Eichel and Reinhardt are almost as good as gone. Risk the Linens on the table. God knows what else they're going to do. If they're going to go full nuclear and get more picks prospects or if they want to bring in more players. And Buffalo. They're going to be a nightmare. In terms of teams that aren't going to do anything. Vancouver, they can't. Uh, and then a funny story here. Uh, Deathman's from Phoenix. He says he found out uh, his adult league coach skated with Matthews and still texts him on the regular. When there was a UFC fight there recently, Matthews texted uh, his coach asking why he turned down meeting him at the fight in his suite and meeting with Justin Bieber. Coach texted back, honestly, I just want to sit at home without pants on tonight. <laughs> that would have been a good fight to go to, though. Uh, good win by Moreno. Evan Beckner says, question for former defenseman Ryan Hanna. What level of play do they start teaching defensemen to check opposing players directly into their own goalie? So two things here. Uh, you learn pretty early that your goalie will let you know when you mess up in terms of like hurting them. Goalies hate it when you check attacking forwards into your own goaltender. Like they'll let you know. Um, and if your goal is crazy enough, they will try to punch you with their blocker on when you're back in the dressing room, either at intermission or after the game. And I may or may not be speaking from experience. Goalies are fucking insane and they'll tell you. So uh, when that happened with point, I guarantee Sorokin was not happy about it. Uh, Aaron Hudson says, question for Brad. What are your feelings on Tampa Bay playing with six men on the ice while being a billion over the cap? Your Mike Milbury's <laughs> no, Aaron, no. <laughs> That's enough. Speaking of which. Brad, how nice was Kucherov's footwork on that pass for the uh, for that goal? The goal had, I think it was a goal ahead goal. Yeah. Every time 
Kucherov does anything, I just get really mad at Xavier Willette, Ryan Sproul, and who is it, Yurko or whatever, for just no good reason. <laughs> Cameron Mugford says, hey guys, in a redraft, where would the following wings prospects have gone? Cider, probably six. Six? Honestly, sixth. Zadina. Lower than six, uh, probably closer to as of right now. No, I think I think it'd be around six or seven still. Quinn Hughes passes him, but I think he passes Barrett Hayton. You could make a case Faraby might go ahead of him, but that's about it. So yes, yeah, six or seven. Rasmussen. I don't want to answer that one. I don't know. I'm not sure he goes in the first round. Jonathan Bergren. <laughs> might slip 20? into the first round, yeah. Yeah. If if we're talking an uninjured Jonathan Berger, and I think you're you're talking the top half of the first round, but in this reality, yeah, around twenty maybe. Uh, Jeremy Dahl says, uh, "Hey guys, great job on the interview with Ken and all the success you're garnering for it. You truly deserve it, Jeremy. Thank you. That that really means a lot." Uh, question: With the success the Islanders are having, how much more do you think they would have if they managed to keep Tavares? Is he still elite enough to push the strong team they have over the hump, or would his cap hit prevent them from icing the team that is already doing well? I find it amusing that he goes to Toronto only for the Isles to have more success than that garbage of a franchise. Um, Tavares in a vacuum makes that team better. Tavares at $11 million does not allow that team to exist as they are. I'm not intensely familiar with their cap situation, but I don't know that Tavares at $11 million is going to make a significant difference. I might be, I might have the player wrong or the exact situation wrong, but I remember when they whiffed. On getting Tavares, that's when they went and threw the bank at Anders Lee, who's not even playing right now because he's on LTIR. He's uh, his season's done due to injury, but I think he also got like four million less. I I don't know. The I, I don't think they'd be as good as they are just because I think they were able to allocate the money better with more players. That being said, the Islanders really need to win it this year because. Lou did a good job building this team for the now and winning for the now, but none of these contracts expire soon and none of these guys are young outside of Parcel. So <laughs> they are definitely in their window and there is a great sense of urgency. Tony says, I just listened to the Hokan Anderson interview done by the Elite Prospects pod. Uh, it was a really good listen. Um, and then asks if we would get him on the show. We are working on a couple things, so stay tuned. Jacob Charlop says, what's up, dub dub fellas? I was reading an article that talked about the Gretzky LA trade and how he was close to picking Detroit before Walter pushed growing the game out West. If we get Gretzky in 88, 89, how do the nineties play out for Detroit? Uh, they win sooner than 97. Uh, I've told this story on the podcast before because I heard the story from Gretz's mouth. So there's one tweak to that story. It wasn't Gretzky was close to picking the Red Wings. He did for for that night while he was sleeping, he was a Red Wing. And then it wasn't until the following morning where he had that conversation with Walter. Uh, if you take this trade would have happened before the draft where we got Lidstrom, Konstantinov, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and Fedorov. Um, so understanding none of them would have been involved in the trade and likely Iserman wouldn't have been involved in the trade. I think it's pretty safe to say for a matter of 10 years, the Red Wings wouldn't have lost a game. Even if you take away half of the players that they got in those drafts, like 
They got a lot of them late, right? I mean, Eisenman at fourth overall, notwithstanding, like they got a lot of those players late. So, yeah, yeah. I remember, I think I read that in Esposito's book and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I almost it, like it gets, it gets worse. So, obviously, we can't complain. The Red Wings won four cups after this instance, but there was a span of two years where the Red Wings got absolutely screwed. Uh, first by Walter Gretzky for talking Wayne out of going to Detroit. And then in that 89 draft, if you want to know how ridiculous this gets, they drafted Lidstrom in the third round, Fedorov in the fourth round. And because the NH and they tried in the fifth round to draft someone else, but the NHL told them he wasn't eligible only for the Vancouver Canucks to prove a few rounds later he was eligible. We were this close. We were one NHL employee screwing up away from also having Pavel Bure in the 90s. I can't believe what this team could have been with Gretzky and Bure. Salary cap would have started 20 years sooner. <laughs> uh, Reese Roper's Blue Comb says, Hey guys, with it being June 16th on the day of writing this, it's my 34th birthday, but also the 23rd anniversary of the 98 Stanley Cup win. Possibly the most emotional Stanley Cup win ever with Vladdy holding the cup in his wheelchair. Best Stanley Cup celebration in history. I think it's, I don't think that's contested. I, it shouldn't be contested. Mostly for Brad, what's the thing you remember most about the Stanley Cup run in particular? Uh, Evan and I, what did we gather from the YouTubes about it? I will say first, um, it's hard for me to remember what I do remember because I do have memories from, you know, when I started watching hockey very, very young, but I can't pretend to vividly remember those things without just kind of like, you grew up a diehard Red Wings fans. You, you hear about the stuff and you watch old tapes and stuff year after year after year, but, um, it's hard to separate out what I didn't watch live, you know, because you just spend your entire years as as a kid consuming the stuff. But anyways, Brad, I'll let you jump in. Game two of the cup finals, the comeback, taking and missing the empty net. That was the first point in my life where I thought miracles might actually be real. That's what I remember. <laughs> um. Colorado 14ers says, with all the speculation of Wallstead going in the top 10, I think uh, his selection by Seattle makes the most sense. Vegas was lucky to get a generational talent and goal in their expansion draft, but I don't see the same playing out for the Kraken. And as good as the as power or Beneers may be, they don't appear to be the face of the franchise potential that Wallstead could have. He's also got the perfect name for a big big-time netminder, and most importantly, his selection in the top five will only make Detroit's pool of skaters for which to choose a little deeper. I subscribe to that logic. They absolutely will not do it, but I pray you are correct. AJ Voss asks, what happened to Atu Ratu? Remember him being talked about uh, as a first overall pick, and now he's not even on top 10 lists. I don't follow individual prospects in depth, uh, so I'm not sure what happened there. He just, just like he disappeared. He had a bad year. He had a really bad year. There's... As a 16-year-old, he made the World Junior Team. As a 17-year-old, he did not. So that can tell you that not only did he not improve this year, you could argue he regressed. 
Nick Geyer says, what's up, guys? I found the pod last summer and now listen to you guys every week on my way to work. The wife surprised me with a patron membership for my very first Father's Day, so I'm stoked to be more involved now. Nick, welcome to the Dub Dub family. Thank your wife for us, and uh, we are so glad you're enjoying the show. Uh, anyways, I got a fair bit of money on Lightning in 6 and Golden Knights in 6 with Lightning going back-to-back in 7. How are my odds? I think as as good as any other outcome there like you're not you can't really go wrong uh for your bank account i hope you're right uh for my sanity i i hope you're wrong <laughs> uh can't wait to get in all the action and listen to the best red wings podcast featuring brad ryan and the shay weber nick you already get it <laughs> uh thanks again man and, and seriously thank your wife uh dave says you say ryan will read every word exactly as written okay that's not true i have to parcel a lot of what you guys say for uh, either, you know, making sure it's good for air or because sometimes people can't condense like uh, one Bradley Crisco. But I'll take a crack at this. Betty Botter had some butter, but she said this butter is bitter. If I break bake this bitter butter, this would make my batter bitter. But a bit. Okay, no, I give up. Sorry. Keep up the good work, you guys. Thank you, Dave, for that. You beat me far earlier than I thought. Too long of it. If I did that before work, then maybe. Uh, Madness says still holding 200 shares of AMC at 1291 makes sense. Cop guy is always injured with those paper hands. <laughs> Get fucked, Brad. <laughs> Evan, what did you sell at? Yeah, I'm a dumbass. I am a paper handed bitch. Uh, I, I'm not denying any of the allegations. I just needed to bring someone down with me. <laughs> Hey, I made money. I'm never upset with profits, but I'm a paper-handed bitch. Me laughing at you guys, purely investing in whole market index funds. Literally nothing fun ever. Um, Full of Ruth says, hey guys, thank you again for your amazing interview with Ken Daniels. My son suffers from substance use disorder and there are no treatment centers in Michigan with a program. Uh, I was so relieved to hear the Jamie Daniels Foundation is building. My question is, are there any likely to be exposed players that, if lost to Seattle, would set back the Red Wings rebuild? No. No. Nope. Not a one. Not unless Steve Eisenman goes absolute. Like, unless he spells somebody's name wrong on the paperwork when he submits it. Obir Juan Kenobi says, what am I missing with McTavish? He's got a great shot, but he looks like he's skating through mud. Which would much rather have a guy like Ratu who has all the tools, just needs to work on the inside of the ice more rather than a player. You have to rebuild their skating stride to the point where he can even keep up. This is one of those very important circumstances where you have to look beyond tools. Ratu seems to be that player, all the tools, no toolbox. Uh, McTavish is working with a very elaborate Toolbox and just needs more tools to fill it because he thinks the game really well. He knows he gets to the right areas of the ice at the right time and has the skill to finish. Again, like we talked about with Svechkov, you don't need to be a great skater to be good. Like a good comparable for what Mason McTavish could be if everything goes right is Ryan O'Reilly with a better shot. Um, I don't think he'll be Ryan O'Reilly, but if a very, very slow gifted center there. There's your, you know, God for that type. Um, from Eric Potts and Eric speculates that we might've talked about Dougie Hamilton. No, the random UFA we actually talked about this episode was Hyman, but Dougie Hamilton also would have been worthy of a few minutes. 
Uh, but Eric's going to give us some context about Dougie Hamilton. Uh, lives in the same mid-sized southern Ontario city as me. His family is super involved in the community, and I see him everywhere. I've seen him playing Pokemon Go and riding bikes in the park with his mom. Seen him at the local club with his brother, Freddie, also a former NHLer. Standing against the wall like the shy kid at a high school dance. It's not really an unordinary event to run into the Hamiltons. Dougie's as innocent as they get. He's making $6 million this year and, his, and still has his dad dropping him off at the local shopping mall because he doesn't own a car. He recently bought the entire penthouse floor of a new condo building for him to live in with his parents. While the Leafs fan base is notorious for, thi- for thinking every free agent is coming their way, the vibe around town uh, has always been that Dougie's homesick mama's boy in Toronto or Buffalo will be the end goal with those guys being – or with those two cities being the closest to him. Dougie Hamilton is a treasure and should be protected. As a fellow museum nerd, I hate Dougie Hamilton slander. And whatever team gets him, I think is going to be better for it. I've changed my mind. The Red Wings should sign him. All logic goes out the window. This right? must be close to home, and Detroit's not that far. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, it's a the Red Wings stage in the rebuild. It's objectively a bad idea to sign Dougie Hamilton, but uh, nah, it, th- this outweighs logic. We we need him. He's too pure to not sign um stacy lynn says thanks for the shout out last episode i've been listening to the podcast since april 2019 just before stevie became gm and i've been a supporter for several months i'm happy to take the jump to name level sponsor though i don't usually have much to say i just love listening and learning and mostly the red wings thank you all for you've done to keep a thank you for all you've done to keep us engaged especially during the depressing months of no hockey covid shutdowns and now during the off season when not much is happening i appreciate you guys stacy uh we don't deserve all those kind words in a row, but we can't say uh, enough how much we appreciate them and for your support. So uh, thank you so much. Number one, Steve Ott fan says, I had a bit about how drafting Wallstead and trading for Eichel might get the wings on track to becoming the 2021 Winnipeg Jets. But now that my son has decided that 4 a.m. is an appropriate time for us to wake up, I couldn't tell if it made any sense and went with this which is probably doesn't make sense either. Anyways, imagine a joke about the previously mentioned scenario and laugh. Can I just say I appreciate your son for taking that comment away from reality because I can't take it. <laughs> um, One of our last comments here, second last comment. Vax waxed and feeling high as hell riding through Palmdale and skating on Dayton rims. Oh, Joseph. Uh, says, hey, fellas, I had back surgery yesterday and I'll tell you what, drugs, it's hell of a drugs. Because New York Presbyterian wouldn't give me prescription (laughs) for post-surgery pain meds. I feel like I'm going to raise my arms and start soaring through the sky like some reading rainbow bullshit thanks to extra strength Tylenol and CBD gummies. Man, what a time to be alive. This guy's going for a ride. On this day, we celebrate the legendary 98 Cup champ starring guaranteed future Hall of Famer Christopher John Osgood. I'm in no condition to be clever or amusing and this took me two hours to type. So just remember that uh, Pierre Maguire is in... (laughs) There's a lot of really, I think, illustrative words here that I won't read for the sake of air, but I am impressed, Joseph. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Matt S. says, uh, since there's so many comments, I just want you three to know that I thoroughly enjoyed the Ken Daniels interview. We need him back for more awareness and stories, and maybe one day Mickey would grace us with his presence too. Keep up the work as always, Dub Dub Crew. Thank you, Matt. All right, we are going to be back with you guys on Sunday, uh, which will include part two of our conversation with Max, which is uh less structured but more fun it's a mock draft had some fun with it it was max's idea fun guy that one
But for now, uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. All of our uh, Patreon supporters, thank you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sierra Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Cry and Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Taylor Tajel, Brandon M., Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hanali, Hassam Al-Kassem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, Morally Chaotic, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacey Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Oh yeah, daddy, as good as it gets, Reed, Stan Olson, Trevor Pevavar, Vaxed, Waxed, and Feeling High as Hell, Riding Through Palmdale and Skating on Dayton Rims. Thank you all so much. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.